COVID-19 has dramatically changed the way the World Bank does surveys around the world. Most interviews used to be done in person, but after the pandemic started, economists and data scientists had difficulty getting data from households and firms. They needed to innovate and adapt to move forward. Welcome to the second episode of the Poverty Podcast, produced by the World Bank's Poverty and Equity Global Practice. I am your host, Mel Flurry. On today's episode, we'll look at the World Bank's high-frequency monitoring dashboard, which was created to track the impacts of COVID-19 in developing countries. When the world was hit by the COVID crisis, the World Bank and partners started a big initiative of doing surveys by phone while also making those numbers publicly available. This effort is ongoing, and the goal is to do the phone surveys in more than 100 countries. With some adjustments, the data from different countries can be compared, combined, grouped, and analyzed together to make comparisons between countries, find patterns across different types of countries, and examine policy impact. The COVID-19 high-frequency survey Globo dashboard is an important step in making the indicators available to all, even as we continue to add more countries, surveys, and indicators. Today, Ambar Narayan, lead economist in the poverty and equity global practice here at the World Bank, will walk us through the World Bank's high-frequency monitoring phone surveys. Umber gave me some insight into the work the team has been doing in the COVID dashboard across over 40 countries so far. The surveys, what they're doing is that they're calling, uh, we call households by phone and ask them a set of questions, uh, which are divided into different sections. So, for example, we ask them about uh, behavior, mitigating the risks from the health risks from the pandemic. We ask them about employment effects or whether they've suffered suffered income losses, um, education of their children. So the objective of doing these surveys is to get a quick sense through some proxy indicators. And I say proxy because we are not measuring consumption and income or other sort of measures of welfare directly. But through proxy indicators, we want to get a sense of what is the extent of impact of COVID and COVID-related disruptions to the economy. So these simple phone surveys can help us understand who is most affected by the current crisis. We can get a sense of what the impacts are by asking people about how they're coping with the health risks from the crisis, about employment status, loss of education, and whether they suffered some income loss. Questions like the ones about job and income losses provide an overall sense of changes in well-being, while questions about education give us a sense of social mobility in the long run. We can already see that COVID-19 has amplified existing inequalities. But what exactly are the phone surveys telling us so far? So across the board, what we see in this 40-plus developing countries is that more than 60% of households report income losses. So there are huge income losses being reported across the board. And a lot of these income losses are to do with job losses. So that is also reported quite frequently across countries on an average, you know, something like anywhere around 40% of households, depending on the country, uh, report having uh, either lost their jobs or working less or being paid less and so on. 
almost 60% of households who receive re- remittances on an average across countries report receiving lower amounts of remittance and those remittances have also fallen in the in the poorer countries in most of the developing countries we see that households are reporting large income losses because the government programs to some extent have not been as universal food insecurity has also been reported more frequently in addition to income and job losses and a lower flow of remittances as explained by Ambar almost 40% of the households reported someone skipping a meal due to lack of money in the last 30 days before the survey to cope with those losses poorer households are taking measures that might have long-term effects households have reported reducing consumption using money that was saved for emergencies or even selling assets more than 40% of households report reducing consumption and remember these are not rich households we're talking about so when they talk about reduced consumption you're essentially uh you're referring to reducing consumption in a way which might affect nutrition for example secondly using money saved for emergencies approximately 20% of households on the average report using money that they had saved for basically running down emergency savings uh which of course reduces their capacity to deal with future shocks and that so that's an area of concern as well and somewhere near an average somewhere close to an average of 8% of households report doing something which has even more severe consequences for the future which is to sell assets such as property or other types of productive assets and all this is to cope with the shock of losing income in the aftermath of the crisis all of these losses and coping mechanisms have been showing us concerning data for long term inequality within countries for the vulnerable these strategies can have serious consequences for future incomes resilience to other shocks and nutrition the immediate impacts of covid-19 affected workers that were mostly urban informal and in the service industry people who might not necessarily be in poverty before covid hit this means that they weren't immediately benefited by government programs or safety nets The phone surveys show that less than one third of households that reported income loss are receiving benefits from the government. The losses are also unevenly distributed, particularly in middle-income countries, where they are affecting mostly workers who are less educated in the informal sector or low wage, as well as women in micro and small businesses. So all these things matter for. what happens to this worker in the longer run and there is compelling evidence from other sources which suggests that in the past workers young workers who entered the job market during the time of a deep economic shock had impacts essentially their lifetime earnings were lower compared to people who who entered the workforce at a, at a time which is you know which was just better for jobs so these things have lifetime impacts can have lifetime impacts and 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 these are you know an enormous source of inequality and lack of social mobility over time i mean what is social mobility social mobility is basically your ability to improve your your education or your earnings uh, over time and compared to what your parents had and that's what we're looking for especially in developed countries and basically the the what the shocks tend to do is is to create these conditions which makes it harder for lower skilled workers 
for entrepreneurs who are who happen to come from the poorer segments uh, of society and so on to achieve this social mobility over time. Another great source of concern for both short-term and long-term inequality is education. Low-income countries tend to have much more severe education disruptions. Data from the firm surveys show that in most of the poorest countries, less than 30% of households with children who attended school before the pandemic completed a school assignment since the COVID outbreak. Not only that, but evidence from past disasters suggests that disrupted schooling can have irreversible losses and long-term costs for individuals, most of them among children in vulnerable families. In the long term, lost months of learning, nutritional deficiencies, and difficulty in accessing health care can affect inequality of opportunity, social mobility, and productivity. The World Bank's high-frequency monitoring dashboard might paint a dire picture of the crisis, but it also shows some sign of recovery over the time the surveys were conducted, particularly in job loss and food security. It is important to point out that what we see here is not a full picture. There have been multiple rounds of survey in a few countries, and those are the countries where we can see some improvement. But if I look at these sort of 20-odd countries where you have multiple rounds, I mean, one thing that we clearly see is that between April and July, there has been some improvement. There has been some improvement in terms of people reporting job losses. So, so that's a clear improvement. It suggests that economic recovery has been happening, that jobs are coming back. Having said that, I, you know, it's, a, it's an open question whether, the, the, whether this has continued to happen since July, right? Because we are now in the middle of a sort of a second wave in large parts of the world. As economies around the globe rebuild, data coming from diverse countries should play an essential role in the recovery. I think what the COVID situation has also made very clear is for the need for statistical systems to be able to flexibly collect data, sometimes using methods which are not standard methods, and any kind of the data which can help which is which can help policymakers you know put programs in place in times of need, and that would essentially mean that not just think about collecting the best possible data using the most sort of rigorous method but using something like you know, phone surveys or in some cases, internet surveys, in some cases, even using social media. We've seen different examples where one can use existing sources or other sources um, or other methods of data collection with all their flaws and all the caveats and so on, but still being able to generate important information, which is useful to tailor policy responses to this crisis. The situation is evolving fast and in different ways for each country. The more data points we have from these household surveys, the better we can understand the impacts of this crisis. The picture can change. So today, you know, what I was talking about is the picture that we see today, that, you know, household income losses are higher in low-income countries, education disruptions are higher, and so on and so forth. All these things may change over time. And particularly when countries are in different phases of recovery, uh, 
depending on where they are in terms of the impacts of the pandemic and depending on what policies have been put in place, the picture is going to change rapidly within and across countries. And that's actually one of the, that's actually the key reason why we have something like the dashboard, because we want to be able to give people the latest information uh, with all the caveats and all the imperfections and so on. This is our episode for today. We invite you to check our COVID-19 high-frequency monitoring dashboard at worldbank.org slash HFM dashboard. Remember to check the page regularly as we add data for new countries and new harmonized indicators every month. Make sure to follow us on Twitter for regular updates at WBG underscore poverty. We'll be back here soon with more updates on poverty, stories, data, and analysis from the World Brain Group and its staff around the globe. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe.